Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. This quote from A Return to Love is considered an anthem for a contemporary generation of seekers. It was also quoted in one of my favorite films, Coach Carter. But it was written by my guest today, and I am so excited and really honored to have Marianne Williamson on this story box today. Now, for those of you that don't know who Marianne is, uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author, nonprofit, and political activist, a spiritual thought leader. And for over three decades, Marianne has been a leader in spiritual and religious progressive circles. Uh, she's the author of 14 books, four of which have been number one bestsellers. And I mentioned the quote earlier from her, one of my favorite books. And I return to love this quote has been used and it's gone far and wide. But Marianne uh, also founded Project Angel Food, a nonprofit that has delivered more than 13 million meals to ill and dying homebound patients since 1989. So before I was even born, the, the group was created to help people suffering from the ravages of HIV and AIDS she has also worked throughout her career on poverty, anti-hunger, and racial reconciliation issues, which we do actually get into in this conversation. She has advocated for uh, reparations for slavery since the 1990s and was the first candidate in the 2020 presidential primary season to make it a pillar of her campaign. And in 2004, she co-founded the Peace Alliance and supporters uh, and support, sorry, the creation of a U.S. Department of Peace. In addition, she advocates for a cabinet-level Department of Children and Youth to ac- adequately address the chronic trauma of millions of American children. How amazing is that? Marianne has a new book out called A Politics of Love, a handbook for a new American revolution. You can go and get that now, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, anywhere you can get your books. 
this was a challenging conversation for me. I mean, I love to be challenged by people. I mean, I, I find myself being uh, challenged all the time when I have a vast variety of people on the show. Uh, I may not agree with everything that my guests say, but that doesn't mean that we can't all be civil and have a deep and meaningful conversation nonetheless as human beings. So this conversation you're about to listen to, we, we dive into a lot of issues. We talk about uh, politics of today. Now, normally I stay away from politics, but I thought that if we were to steer the conversation towards uh, love and how we can really heal our world, uh, politics is part of it. Okay, so I steered directly towards it in this conversation. Uh, so I hope you guys appreciate everything that Marianne says. Uh, but nonetheless, my friends, I think you're going to love Marianne's story, where she came from, what she's doing now, and all of her wisdom. So my friends, if you do get something from this, please don't forget to share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Help support Marianne and her cause. I know she'll be greatly appreciated of that. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. You can watch the full video now over on YouTube. Links are all in the show notes below for everything that you need. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to return back to love today in the story box because we are going to listen to the story, the wisdom, and the advice from none other than the spiritual thought leader herself, Marianne Williamson. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. It's really great to have you here. I have been looking forward to this conversation ever since I found out that I would be actually sitting down with you almost <laughs> over Zoom and, and conversing with you. Uh, before we dive into your backstory, your new book, everything that you're doing for the world, I have one particular question I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is what does success look like for you? Success to me looks like your ability to go to sleep at night and feel like I did okay. I tried, I showed up, I didn't let small things deter me. And on a really successful day, that means somebody else's life is a little bit better because of something I said or did today. Mm. When was the moment for you, Marianne, that you realized this was success for you? Has it been this gradual thing over your life that you've realized at a different moments or was there a catalyst moment somewhere in your life well i don't think you reach success one day and then mm. you're a sex no, success no matter what you might have a success as success seems to define itself on any one given day but the next day if you do something which you feel was not your best and was some mistake of some kind, then you feel on this day you weren't a success. Mm. You know, you you don't uh, measure success by just shallow factors. Mm. You should measure success by how you're doing as a human being. Mm. And sometimes that means, I think there's a line in The Course in Miracles that says some of your greatest failures you have deemed success, some of your greatest successes you have deemed failures. You know, you, you you're in trouble if you're letting outer external factors determine for you what you think success is. If you made a lot of money poisoning the Amazon, <laughs> were you a success? Mm. And something else you might've done that the world might've said failed. It's kind of like some people have really good uh, marriages and then after 20, 25 years, 
they divorced and other people might say it's too bad their marriage failed, but maybe their marriage didn't fail. Maybe their marriage succeeded. And it was simply time that um, physical proximity no longer serves the soul growth of either person. So, you know, with everything in life, you get to the point of realizing that your compass doesn't have to be the compass of the world. Mm. It's changing the perspective around feeling bad about a certain failure and making that as actually it's a set set up for you in your life. It's not a setback. Uh, and I'm sorry. Ask me that one again. So it's more or less changing your perspective around the fact that your failures aren't necessarily a bad thing in your life. They could be used as a way to set you up for your success later <clears> on in life. I think the only failure in life is the failure to learn from something. Mm. There have been experiences that the in my life that the world might have called failures that I might see as failure. But if it grounded me and humbled me and taught me something, then hopefully I'm a better person because of it. And the next time those circumstances come back around, I'll be able to handle them better than I have before. So the success was in the fact that I grew. Mm. What's been your greatest failure recently that sort of did set you up to being a, a better person? Um, a family relationship where someone had upset with me mm. and I didn't understand. And when finally the conversation happened in a way that I did understand, I realized, yeah, She's right. I failed to be present in the ways I should have been present. I failed to take the extra step to try to understand in ways that I wish I had. Um, I failed to, I failed to give enough, even though, you know, none of us wake up in the morning saying, you know, I think I'll be a jerk today. <laughs> even in that situation, I thought I was doing fine. Of course, my projection was that the other person wasn't. So I've realized some ways in which I failed her, I failed myself. And hopefully, the correction, the Course in Miracles says, um, miracles arise from total communication given and received. Mm. Hopefully, this will set us up to even relate at a higher level. Mm. That's certainly my hope and, and my intention, and I believe hers as well. Have you had a miracle somewhere in your life that you least expected to actually come about that sort of changed your perspective on who you were as a person? Well, there have been external things, certainly. Um, when Oprah Winfrey first called because she wanted my book to be on her show, that was certainly like this lightning bolt. Did it change my perspective on myself as a person? Ultimately, but I'm not sure in totally all positive ways. Mm. I think anytime we fall in love, I think that's probably falling in love and having a child, having a, having a baby definitely changed my perception of myself as a person. Mm. When you're a parent, that's a very different perception of yourself. So yeah, that was probably, those were, those are the biggest miracles. So talking about actually falling in love, and this is a, a, a very interesting thing for me because Society says falling in love is like this great feeling that we have when we meet someone for the first time. You know, we have all those emotions building up inside of us, so to speak. But I've always been fascinated what actually is the root meaning of real love? Like actually 
taking that action of loving oneself and then using that to help, I guess, translate to loving another? What does that actually mean? Well, from a spiritual perspective, it means grounding oneself in the knowledge that God is love. Mm. And you're an idea in the mind of God, which means you are, you are the thought of love inside the thought of love. And your purpose on this earth is to be that, to think that, and to extend that. And a grounding like that in the recognition that love is our source and that our purpose is to extend it to others then puts us in right relationship because we're in right relationship with the creative source of who we are. This puts us in right relationship with our own self. You know, Freud defined neurosis as sense of self. I'm sorry, as separation from self. So when we are realigned with the knowledge of who we are, then this also puts us in right relationship with other people. Because we remember that our, our mission here is just to give them love and to receive love. So um, there's a line in The Course in Miracles. One of the lessons is there is no love but God's. Mm -hmm. There is no, you know, we tend to think of love in categories. Like there's the love for another person. There's a romantic sexual love. Then there's platonic love. There's a love between friends. There's love parents and children. And um, The Course in Miracles talks about how there's only one love, and that is God's love. And that, I think, I know for myself that changes your sense of, of what love is, who we are, and why we're here. Where did you understand your realization of who actually God is? Uh, I'm curious about that story. I was raised in a traditional Jewish home. Mm. And there was just never a question. God, you know, there's a pretty healthy, you know, my perception of who God is has not changed. Mm. So speaking about, I want to go into the purest form of love, which is God's love and actually experiencing God's love. How can we as human beings, is that actually possible to experience the love of God? <clears throat> All of us have had moments. All of us have had moments. Mm. Usually a child was at your breast or you were at somebody else's. We've all had moments. Mm. The thinking of the world mitigates against those moments. This world is dominated by a thought system based on fear. And the spiritual path or enlightenment is a process of dismantling that thought system. Enlightenment is not a learning. Enlightenment is an unlearning. The thoughts of fear in order to accept instead the thoughts of love. And it takes work. It takes work because in this world, your attitudinal muscles are sort of like your physical muscles. If you're not working at keeping them up, they're headed down. There's psychological gravity and emotional gravity and spiritual gravity, just like there's physical gravity. And you have to develop the musculature mm. to counter that gravity um, through forgiveness, through uh, mercy, through justice, through love. We counter the forces of anger, victimization, self-pity, negativity, and criticism. Mm. It's not um, something that comes naturally, except in an ultimate sense. But we are so taught by the thought system of this world that what is natural at a very early age feels unnatural to us. Mm. Love feels unnatural in some situations. And the opposite is true as well. What is unnatural, which is getting all triggered about it, feels natural. So the spiritual path is the unlearning, 
of the thoughts of fear, the acceptance instead of the thought of love. And it's also like physical exercise. You never get to look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, you know, I like how I look. I don't have to do this anymore. Mm. Every single day, you either give your house to light, meaning your mind to love, or darkness will enter. Mm. That's so true. And for someone that is actually struggling to not only love themselves, but loving another person because of fear that has crept in somehow to their life, how would you navigate helping that person, I guess, return back to the right form of love? Well, the reason a spiritual path is a daily journey is because it's pointless to say, I'm not going to meditate, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to do a spiritual, a serious spiritual path. But then when I'm in trouble and I really want to get past fear, can you just tell me the how-to and tell me how to do it? <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. That's like saying, if I haven't been exercising and I have a big flight of stairs, can you tell me how to walk up these quickly? Well, no, because you don't have the muscles for it. Mm. So you, there is a simple answer, but the simple answer is not always that simple to uh, personify. The simple answer is, dear God, help me. Help me see the innocence in this person because right now all I see is that they're a jerk. Right now all I can think about is that what they said was not nice. I don't like the look on their face. Uh, I feel that this really undermined me. This was not nice, whatever. Dear God, I am willing to see this differently. I am willing to see the innocence in this person because only if I see the innocence in this person will I feel the innocence in myself. And only forgiveness will take us to a place of breakthrough and healing. But Mm -hmm. I can't quite get there by myself. Dear God, I am willing to see this differently. Please help me. But if that is not already part of your thought system, then it becomes kind of like weird language. Mm. That's why that's, you know, that's why we're, we're on a journey. That's why, you know, and everybody you can, you know, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, but there, there's one truth that's spoken many different ways. There are so many forms and so many teachings. um, And in today's world, they're easy enough to find. The point isn't about accumulating more metaphysical data. We all have the metaphysical data at this point. So many of us have read the same books, listened to the same tapes. Mm. At a certain point, and we're at that point, where the era of data collection is over. Now it's a matter of prayer, meditation, forgiveness, and real work at trying to make it real. Mm. And it's not always easy. Sometimes this stuff is much easier said than done. But your alternative is anxiety, Mm. depression, fear, limitation, Getting stuck. Like physical exercise. If you work, it works. If you work it, it works. If you don't, it doesn't. Same with spiritual practice. If you do it, it works. And if you don't, it doesn't. But then don't go be being mystified at all the anxiety you're experiencing. You're, ang- you're experiencing all that anxiety because your thoughts are so out of alignment with the truth of who you are. Because you have been taught, like everybody else has been, a thought system, which is literally insane. And your work, just like everybody else's work, if we so choose, is to dismantle that thought system. And mm-hmm. any serious thought, uh, uh, spiritual practice helps us do that. I was speaking with Martha Beck just yesterday, actually, about this very thing, about this very thought process. She wrote the, the new book, uh, The Way of Integrity. And it's, it's true about getting to this place of being honest, truly honest with ourselves, and doing the work to get to back to get back to a place of wholeness, which is sheer integrity. That's what it actually is. 
And integrity, if we are truly being honest with ourselves, if we really do the work, then we can finally get to that place of loving oneself because that is a truth. We should love oneself. And well, you go. I don't know we're supposed how we're supposed to love ourselves if we know deep in our hearts what we did today was not very lovable or very loving. And that's what integrity is. Integrity means I actually practiced what I preach. Mm. So it's difficult to have self-respect if you don't really respect how you behaved in a certain situation. And that's the point of trying to behave in a way that is with integrity is so that you can look in the mirror and go, I, I did okay. I did okay. Mm. Very true. I, I want to ask you, Marianne, what do you love the most about yourself? What I love the most about myself is what I love the most about anybody else. The essence of who we are, the essence of who I am and the essence of who you are, the essence of who everybody else in the world is, is the same essence. That's the metaphysical meaning of the line, there is only one begotten son. Mm. That at the deepest level, we're all the same being. That is what I love the most, but it's not personal. Mm. I like that. I think that's cool. And I want to sort of steer into your new book at, at the moment, uh, Politics of Love. Now, I don't really talk much about politics on this show, but I think your book, it speaks differently to just sheer politics. And I'm wondering if you can um, share why you decided to write this book in particular and what the book is really about, what it's talking to. Politics is our collective behavior. And so if there's a conversation to be had about aligning our personal behavior with love, then there is similarly a conversation to be had about aligning our collective behavior with love. The same principles that prevail within the journey of an individual prevail within the journey of a collective because all that a collective is is a group of individuals. Mm. Politics does not have to be corrupted the way it is. What it's corrupted by is our own worst instincts. And so the effort to take the best of who we are, what Abraham Lincoln called the angels of our better nature, and infuse politics with that seems to me like a very worthy endeavor. I felt I should run for president of the United States, and I wrote a politics of love as kind of um, a handbook. Many candidates do, most candidates do. This is what I stand for, this is what I believe, and this is what I would do. So what would you do in order to fix the country of America? My country is very wounded right now, primarily because we had one man who for four years harnessed for his own political purposes the darkest instincts of the American character racism, bigotry, homophobia, racism, anti-Semitism. And he undermined the deepest democratic values of our society. Now, in some ways, by doing so, he simply brought to the fore problems that were already there. Nobody thought we didn't have anti-Semitism, homophobia, uh, racism, or bigotry before that. But we thought we had reached a point where they had been cast out of the mainstream that no political party would be giving them serious 
voice or megaphone. Mm. And yet he, he, he did more damage in four years than I think any thinking person would have thought he was capable of doing. So now the work is to realign our policies with the best of who we are. Mm. Um, to a great extent, our current president, Biden, is seeking to overturn many of the policies of the Trump administration, which showed the least respect for the earth, the least respect for children, the least respect for <coughs> the disadvantaged, et cetera. But we need to go further than that. And the ways in which we need to go further than that are true not only of the United States, are true of Australia, true of all the nations of the world. There is a new chapter of human civilization that is seeking to emerge that is not grounded in any one country or any one ethnicity or any one culture. It is a resacralization of a very desacralized world, a sense of reverence and devotion to the earth, a sense of reverence and devotion to children, a reverence and devotion to each other, reverence and devotion, a serious taking, a, a, a serious um, embrace of the sense of justice and equal rights and equal opportunities and democracy itself. We're living at a time where an author there is a rise in authoritarian sentiment. Um, Hungary, Poland, um, the Philippines, Israel. Um, we certainly see it here in the United States. And from what I read, you have your own issues in, in Australia, which are very, very similar. So there are two very uh, conflicting uh, modes of, of, of being politically that are, are in serious conflict on the earth today. That which is, a, which is an intensification of an authoritarian perspective and that which is a, 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 an increasing democratic fervor. Uh, the good news is how much of the, the young people of, of our world are, are embracing an, the newly minted democratic spirit. Um, but we're in the middle of the contest. Mm. And um, I think all of us are assigned, you know, you were assigned to Australia. I was assigned to the United States. Some people are assigned to Asia. Some people are assigned to, to Europe. And depending on where we are, um, our responsibilities, while are to the same global movement, specifically applied to the countries in which we live. So if you had have been elected president of the United States, would you do the exact same things you're seeing Biden do? Or would you, would you do something completely different? I would do some things differently. Uh, he has improved some things. He has overturned some of Trump's worst abuses of our system. Uh, but my concern is that he's going a little bit too slow, too little, and what could be too late. I know some people think he's done so much, so much, so much, and I don't want to uh, take away from what he has done. Uh, President um, uh, Roosevelt, during the Great Depression in the United States, talked about three R's, rescue, reform, and mm -hmm. rescue, relief, and reform. Mm -hmm. With the terrible... Uh, economic hardships introduced by the pandemic in the United States. President Biden has definitely brought rescue and he's definitely brought relief. But if he does not introduce real reform of the economic system and the unholy alliance between our government and uh, 
are greediest corporations, then he's not really introducing reform. Mm. And that's what must occur, I believe, not only in order to uh, make America really turn around, uh, but also even to win the 2022 election. Do you believe that's ultimately possible, that we can get to a place of peace and prosperity once again? Absolutely. Uh, We've seen dramatic changes in my country. You've seen dramatic changes in your country. Um, I think that it's, I think it's really important to know history right now. Mm. Because when you see the long arc of history, generations are just like people, you know, (laughs) that you have some good things in you, you have some things that need to work down in you. And America has a particularly intense um, polarity. You know, we were founded on one hand, our Declaration of Independence contains the most enlightened principles that ever formed the founding of a nation. Mm. On the other hand, 41 of the 56 signers were slave owners. So we've always been both. And when you know history, you see that every generation lived out the struggle between the darkest and the lightest aspects of the American character. Mm. On the other hand, we have tended over time to self-correct. We had slavery, but then we had abolition. We had institutionalized oppression of women, but then we had aboli- uh, had a women's suffragette movement. We had segregation uh, uh, and institutionalized oppression of black people, and we had the civil rights movement. We are living at this time in this chapter at a time where the struggle is is really the same as it's been before, played out um, the democratic spirit pushing back against certain overreaches by, uh, by capitalism, basically, by an unfettered capitalism that has far too much undue influence uh, on our government. And uh, our generation is, is showing up to right the ship as other generations before us have done. I love history. I'm a huge history nerd, whether or not it's Australian history, uh, European, American, doesn't matter what it is. And I've always been fascinated by... History gives us all the answers that we need. If you look at the past and how people acted in the past and you look at where we are today, do you ultimately believe that, I guess, (laughs) looking at it all, that we have, I, I guess, improved? Because it seems like on one hand, we haven't really, if you look at the past and how we sort of, got to a, a good enough place like with I guess you could call Abraham Lincoln's abolitions of of slaves back then but we still had slave owners still had all that sort of stuff we still have racism which I've always been fascinated by this maybe you can help um, answer this question for me if I'm making any sense but I, I just I'm I've always been curious whether or not we can actually get to a place of real peace without the bad, if that makes sense. Well, a state of real peace without the bad will be the state at which humanity has achieved total enlightenment. I actually believe we will get there. But even in terms of the normal arc of human history, history doesn't move in a straight line. (laughs) And, and history is just like personal development. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Yes, there was the abolition of, of slavery. On the other hand, uh, there was the introduction uh, years later of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. So um, in some ways, racial history in the United States has definitely improved. 
in other ways, we are dealing with one of our most violent chapters uh, between police brutality. And the police brutality issue is not just about some brutal policemen. There is some infestation there. There is some infusion of seriously, seriously white supremacist um, forces within our police departments. Disgusting. This is very, very, very serious. But do I think that our generation can handle it? Yes, we can handle it if we are willing to look at it more honestly. And that I would like to see our government do. I don't believe that the Biden administration and the current attorney general has quite yet, quite yet named the uh, white supremacy within our policing as quite the level of problem that it is. Merrick Garland, our attorney general, has definitely said he will be bringing um, federal charges against police departments that, that exhibit this behavior. But he himself is, I assume, learning what many of us are already clear about, that the problem goes even deeper than some people might think. Mm. What he plans to do about that, I don't know. But I certainly hope it will be something more than they have uh, said they will do yet. Mm. Something really, really rotten in the state of Denmark there, the Denmark <laughs> being U.S. policing. I guess we just got to wait and see what actually happens and be very mindful. Well, there have been some charges made. I mean, there are definite signs of movement and signs that they might be moving even further, but you can't tell yet. No. For me, it's not fast enough. <laughs> me either, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I, I really, I have hope. I am an eternal optimist. I have hope that things will get better, uh, but, you know, you can't help but look at the news and what the news is portraying. You know, it's kind of like uh, spin media and all that sort of stuff. But I'm always fascinated. There's always two sides to every story. So I'm always looking, okay, what's what's the truth here? Can we really have the truth being portrayed to us? Or is this truth really relative to us as individuals? And then in saying that, um, yeah, I, I guess my... My other question for you, we sort of touched on it or you, you sort of touched on it with the, the word justice. Now, I've had a couple of conversations with people about, I mean, Sean King, he described justice uh, quite greatly, actually. Um, but I'm curious about your version of what ju real justice actually is. Can we get to a place where both sides, there is an equal outcome? Is that actually possible? Yes, absolutely we can, because if you look at it spiritually, it's the notion that it's a win-win universe. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, that when we have a commitment to every situation being a win-win, you know, in the material world, there are only so many pieces of the pie. And if I have a piece, you have less. But in the spiritual world, it doesn't work that way. The more I give you, the more I have. Mm -hmm. And also when you talk about two sides of every story, no, there are not two sides of every story. When you see a, a policeman shooting an unarmed black man in the back. There are not two, I'm sorry, there are not two sides to this story. Uh, when you see the Holocaust, there are not two sides to the story. So I think we wanna be careful with that one. There aren't always two sides to a story. There is such a thing as evil. 
Mm. I think you're right. I think like the, the way I was looking at it was the other side of the story is for me personally, like if we're using the Holocaust example, the other side would be how the Jews were feeling in that moment compared to how the Nazis treated them. That is the Nazis treating them is ultimately the worst story ever. But the yeah, other side. When we use the term two sides to every story, the common understanding there is that there's legitimacy to both. There's yeah. no legitimate, you don't want to legitimize uh, yeah. the heinous, uh, murderous intentions of the Nazis putting Jews in gas chambers. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're right. So, um, uh, two final questions for you, Marianne, if you don't mind. So this is this one is my all-time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical okay. one. I've really enjoyed okay. this conversation, by the way. You've opened Thank my you. eyes to a lot of things. Um, so I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. They don't know how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? You know, I'm more of a Prince Philip type. You know, he didn't live to be 100. But he said, you know, if I do, I don't want to be there. I don't. I don't think that sounds like fun. Mm. I don't know if I want to be at that party. You know what I'm saying? As long as God grants me the willingness to be here, I don't want to live in the past. Mm. And if I'm fortunate, I guess for, I don't even know if that's fortunate or not, but if I live to be a hundred, I want to be thinking about what I'm going to do at 101 mm. or enjoying myself. I, uh, Yeah. You know, I uh, I always want to be seeking to live in the present. Do you feel like anything is missing in your life currently? Only if I see something missing. Only if that's my filter. You know, the Courts of Miracles says only what you are not giving can be lacking in any situation. Mm. I have so much to be grateful for. I have, I have work that I love. I have people that I love. Um, I have so much to be grateful for. And any thought that anything is missing is by definition, such a skewed perception that I would like to cast it out of my mind like a mosquito too close to my ear. Um, I can't even kind of think of anything at the moment. Mm. And so, except the most, you know, I think I need to pick up something at CVS that I don't have. You know what I mean? It's like some very, very superficial things are missing. I like it. So you run this amazing podcast, the Marian Williamson podcast. You've had some pretty amazing guests on there. Some of my favorite conversations that I've listened to, especially with Russell Brand. I mean, you guys, you guys get at it. <laughs> you get you get very deep. And I really, really love those conversations. It opens my eyes to many different things, deep thinkers. Um, so go and check out that. Go and get a copy of your, your new book, A Politics of Love, A Handbook for a New American Revolution. And go and get your other book, uh, A Return to Love. It's another amazing read. Um, highly encourage you. you guys to get it. Um, my last question for you, this is um, another, might be a hard one, but we'll see how we go. If you were to ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be, why, wow. and what question would you ask them? I might ask JFK what really happened. 
That's a good one. That is a good one. Because where he is now, he knows. Mm. And the history of my country was really changed, not just by that day, but by our never really knowing. Mm. Mary Ann, where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about your work? Thank you. MaryAnn.com. Amazing. Mary Ann Williamson, thank you so much for your thank time you today. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you having me. And for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.